um, and he says, if there's one thing I've learned about the authority, he mentions the authority a lot, um, it's that nothing is left to chance. The space program is militarized, power corrupts, so they want to hide the, uh, the world. Ancient kings and popes were told of this world long ago by a scroll, book, or interdimensional being. <laughs> Let me try to say it again without laughing. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Ancient kings and popes were told of this world a long time ago by a scroll, book, or an interdimensional being. I, I can't do it. <laughs> What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt uh, with, as always, your hosts, Jordan and Jared. Today, we're going to be talking about something that I honestly never thought we'd have to talk about in the year 2020, but here we are. We're going to talk about a growing minority of people who believe, unironically, that the Earth that we all live on is not a globe, but is instead a flat disk. The flat earthers, uh, they come in many shapes and sizes, but we're going to talk about um, what they are, who they are, why they believe what they believe, whether or not they're they're correct. Spoiler, no. And, uh, and then kind of go into what their mindset is and what the research says about that. Starting with, uh, what is it? So you, you've probably heard the term flat earther before. And the, in terms of like what they are, what they believe, the, the hint's kind of in the name. They believe that the Earth is flat, right? There's a tremendous amount of variety, like a bewildering amount. Yeah. Um, you've got flat earthers who believe it because it's the biblical cosmology. You've got atheist flat earthers. You've got ones that think that there's an ice wall. You've got ones that think that it's stationary. You've got ones that think it moves. You've got ones that think that everything else that you see does in fact exist, but that the earth is in the center and it's not moving. And you've got ones that think that that's all an illusion, you know? you got ones that think that there's a literal dome like the Truman Show and that what you see on the outside is actually just projections and like a we live in this fake world run by some magic or some authority that's like trying to control us all. So. And then you've got ones that don't buy into the dome at all, uh, but believe that we're just like this, like we're on an infinite plane of land. It, it, it goes all across the board. But the one thing they all definitely agree on is that the earth is flat and everyone who says otherwise is lying to you. Yes. And they get there by different means too. Um, yeah. So... Well, I mean, I think that's, I mean, everybody at this point has all heard of Flat Earth. I mean, you can't be around today and not hear this. But I think we should preface our episode here by saying that we're not here to ridicule people for their beliefs. We're not here to make fun of them, although we may have a snide comment from time to time because some of the stuff they say is pretty crazy. But the point of this episode really is to look at it from the point of skepticism and show where they where they're applying skepticism, but maybe they're applying it incorrectly, showing how you could approach this from a skeptical viewpoint and the questions you should be asking, the evidence you should be looking for, and, and so on. So absolutely. Like I it's in my nature I can't talk about anything without cracking some jokes. <laughs> That's just not gonna happen at myself and others right. uh but you're never going to 
one, change anyone's mind if you come at them from a perspective of you're a moron and let me tell you how. Yeah. And as ridiculous as it seems at first blush, it's hard for me to even say this because it's the flat earth, but I'm open to any and all evidence, including evidence for the flat earth. So maybe, just maybe, they're right. Yeah. And I'll never find out if I don't talk to them. And in doing research for this episode, I came across some things where I was like, huh, I've thought about that. And then I would go look into it a little bit more and realize that, oh, yeah, that's not it. But like initially, there were things that were said or points that were brought up, and it made me actually take a hard look at it, you know? Yeah. I, I think if you ran into your average person on the street and was like, hey, you, prove to me the earth is round, most people couldn't do it. Yeah. And if you threw some of the things that flat earthers say, for instance, they say that we're spinning around this and here's the linear velocity and we're going around the earth. How come we don't feel any motion? Most people probably couldn't say why. Yeah. That's an ignorance of physics, but it's kind of understandable. So um, before we get started into like the psychology and stuff, we thought while this particular podcast is not going to be focused on debunking all their claims, that's been done in a ton of different places and we yeah, may do it in the, yeah. yeah all over if you, we'll give you some sources but um if you want to find that you can definitely find that we do want to we're going to go over a, a little bit um but you can find that elsewhere maybe we'll do it again later uh but <clears throat> there's just a couple things that you can do like if you're somehow in doubt or whatever just some good experiments that you can run to test the claims of whether or not the earth is round so you can start with the first and probably the most easiest one for anybody can anybody can do if you have a pair of binoculars or even your own eyes. And I think that one is the horizon, right? Yeah. So if the Earth is flat and when you're comparing a model, um, you want to ask, what would I see if my model were correct? And also, what would I see the null hypothesis if I'm wrong? You know, and then try to disprove your hypothesis. So in the flat Earth model, while the Earth may be bumpy, there's no overall curvature. So the horizon should, in theory, go on forever. And objects would get smaller and smaller because of perspective, and it may eventually get to the point where you can't see them because they're too small. Yes. Um, but if you had sufficient magnification and the air was clear enough, you could see them again, yep. assuming there was nothing in the way. Whereas in a round Earth, because the light has to travel more or less in straight lines, barring refraction on fluids and stuff, uh, eventually the Earth itself will get in the way. And that's what the horizon is, yeah. is the Earth getting in the way of your seeing. So one simple thing people can do for this, uh, if you have access to a large body of water, which... Um, people in Iowa do not, or Kansas don't, but if you're anywhere near an ocean or you make a trip to an ocean, you can literally stand on the beach and watch a ship sail off into the horizon. And as it does, you will notice that the hull of the ship starts to disappear and eventually you will only see the top of the ship. A sailboat's a perfect example of this because it has a mast and like you can, at, at some point, you're only going to be able to see the mast. Uh, and the rest of the ship will be hidden by the horizon, which is the curvature of the Earth. Um, and on a flat Earth model, if that was the case, if you were able to see the mast, because you could still see the mast, you should also still be able to see 
the hull of the ship. Right. Uh, you can find calculators online that take the curvature of the Earth and tell you like how far you should be able to see. Right. Um, I will warn you that they're not... I don't want to say they're not accurate because they are accurate as far as they go, but they make the assumption that all light travels in a straight line. But in fact, light rays refract. That means mm -hmm. bend whenever they hit a fluid. You can see this if you put your finger in a glass of water. Your finger looks crooked, even though you know for a fact it's not, yeah. or a straw or whatever. Um, that's because the light that's coming off of that straw is bending when it enters and exits the fluid. And the same thing can happen near the horizon, especially around water, because the air is colder, it can actually bend and reflect towards the curvature of the Earth, which will let it get around some of the curvature it couldn't if it went in a straight line. Yeah. So that will vary depending on weather conditions. Um, so you may want to run this experiment several times in different weather conditions. Um, but assuming, so sometimes if like the conditions are right, the ship may be able to get far enough because of refraction where you can't see it because of perspective, but if you magnify it, you can see it again. That's what they like to show on flat earth videos. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't disprove curvature. It just means that there's things are moving in a straight line. But if you ever see a sailboat where the hole disappears first, flat earth's dead right there. Yeah. And if you don't have access to body of water, you can also check this out. If you have a really tall building or mm -hmm. you want to climb up to the top of a water tower legally, um, <laughs> <laughs> We're not condoning that, but if you did, you uh, because be yeah. b because that would let you get a different perspective. So if um, the Earth were flat, it shouldn't matter how tall or how high up you are, because it's flat. There's nothing... Barring that there's not a building in between you right. and the object you're looking at. It could help you get above intervening objects, and it does make the light rays maybe wider... So it would be easier to see a little bit. But hypothetically, if you're on top, if you have a sufficiently powerful pair of binoculars or whatever, and you're um, on the ground and on the, the water tower, there's nothing that you should be able to see from the top that you couldn't see from the bottom. Right. On a flat Earth model. On a flat Earth model. However, on a curved model, if you go further up, then the light um, can travel further around the curve. Uh, so that's if you're in an area that's pretty flat but has a big, tall water tower, put something pretty far away, so far enough away that you can't see it on the ground, then climb the water tower with like binoculars of magnification. Yeah. Then climb the water tower and see if you can see it. And if you can, that's an indication that maybe the Earth's curved. Yeah. One of the things that I like, and anybody can do this anywhere in the world, is during a lunar eclipse. And if you notice during a lunar eclipse, what's happening is the sun is on the opposite side of the earth as the moon. And as the earth is passing through the moon's like light rays of the sun, you can actually see the round shape of the earth on the moon. And while that they could say, well, that's just a disc projection, no matter what position the sun is, because it's not always directly in a straight line, no matter what position the sun is, there will always be a round shape. It could be just like a sliver on the moon. It could be the whole thing. And the only object that always casts a round shadow, no matter what point the light source is, is a sphere. Correct. And that's pretty definitive. Though. 
Um, and there's tons of more evidence. Yeah. Uh, you can go, let me pull up some sources because I've got Curtis Botti, K U R T I S B A U T E. He did a cool experiment where he uh, replicated the shadow experiment that the Greeks did to determine that the Earth was round. Um, so that's a really cool video to check out. But if you start, if you go, if you Google or put in YouTube "flat Earth," you're just going to come up with page after page after page of debunking videos. Yeah. and um, we highlighted these these couple here because you don't need anything other than your own eyes or a set of binoculars or something to actually do these experiments. Uh, obviously, if you had the time and resources, you could do much more extensive experiments, but these are simple demonstrations. A great example of doing an extensive exp- an extensive and expensive uh, um, experiment comes from the documentary Behind the Curve. Um, so there's an awesome documentary on Netflix called Behind the Curve, and it's fantastic. You should definitely watch it if you haven't. It's about an hour. Uh, but they follow some flat earthers, and one of the things that they do is they run experiments that the video the flat earthers do. And in one of them, they got this super expensive gyroscope, like it's a like laser gyroscope, twenty thousand dollars or something. Yeah, crazy. extremely precise, really fancy piece of equipment. And they said, "Hey, if the Earth is rotating through three hundred sixty degrees a day, that's fifteen degrees an hour. This uh, gyroscope is sensitive enough to detect motion that's slow." So if we're rotating, the gyroscope should read 15 degrees an hour. And then they said, so we measured it, and uh, we detected 15 degrees an hour. <laughs> but, and that's great. That's fantastic. Like, they, they got an experiment, they got the equipment they needed, then they ran it. Unfortunately, the problem comes in the next sentence where they said, well, obviously we couldn't accept that result. <laughs> and then they go off on a tangent about, like, encasing the gyroscope and bismuth and adamantium and all this other crazy yeah. stuff yeah. yeah so um it wasn't actually adamantium by the way I was just making a joke maybe that'll be the next one yeah maybe that'll be the next step so it, it's clear if you um listen to flat earthers talk i mean some of them say a lot of right sounding things they talk a lot about running your own experiments yeah. and you know gathering evidence not believing everything you're told just because someone in authority told you, and these are all good things as far as they go. If someone is coming at it with all of the right intentions, how do they get so far off track? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, and like you said, though, before we get into that, it is commendable that most flat earthers are saying, I don't accept this claim at face value. I want to explore it and find the evidence for myself and i right. think that's that's a, that's a good medical. thing yes it's yeah. super. and so what we're asking is how do they go how do they do these things and still come up with the conclusion that the earth is flat i originally when i approached this um ha- I, before we went decided to do this podcast i'd seen a little bit of flat earth stuff but i hadn't really dived into it so um my original conception was that someone would maybe hear some flat earth videos or something, not understand the physics, maybe run an experiment, not really understanding how to run an experiment or how to properly control for variables or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that might convince them that the earth is flat. And then because they think the earth is flat, then they accept all the rest. Right. But it seems that maybe it goes the other way. If we want to know why 
flat earthers believe what they believe, like the way they approach it. Maybe a good way to do it is to check out the intro video that a ton of flat earthers say is like their entry point. Yeah. Um, there's a guy named Mark Sargent, uh, who's a pretty big name in flat earth com- in the flat earth community. He's actually the main protagonist of the behind the curve documentary. Right. And his uh, channel has 83.9 thousand subscribers, 83.9 thousand subscribers, but his series um, flat earth clues has millions of views, millions of views The the, the intro one. So the flat earth clues introduction has 1.1 million views, which is a lot. Yeah. So um, open up the video and uh, let's see what he talks about. So like, this is his entry. This is his pitch. What does he think is the most important thing to talk about with the yeah. Flat Earth? And, the, and one of the reasons we're doing this video uh, specifically is because uh, a lot of people who believe in the Flat Earth have specifically stated that they were introduced to this by Mark Sargent's videos and it opened their eyes. And so something in these videos convinced them that the earth was flat. And so that's right. why we're examining this video specifically. Right. So what is it about this video? What does he focus on? Does he talk about the spinning of the earth, the, the forces involved? What yeah. does he talk about? So starting at 18 seconds, you know, is this a joke? That's everyone's first question. That makes sense. Then he gives some false facts about Copernicus thinking that the earth was round. Everyone knew the earth was round. That wasn't Copernicus. But moving on, um, he talks about how nobody could see that the Earth was round until 1957. And then, quote, that's when things get strange. Uh, He starts talking about the U.S. and Russia um, getting scared of what they saw. And, you know, they're scared because they were firing nukes into the sky. Then the Antarctica Treaty is signed. So nobody can own Antarctica. And isn't that weird because there's no other land on Earth that's not owned? And wouldn't the oil companies be exploring Antarctica? Uh, He explains the solid dome model that he has. um, And he says, if there's one thing I've learned about the authority, he mentions the authority a lot, um, it's that nothing is left to chance. The space program is militarized, power corrupts, so they want to hide the the world. Ancient kings and popes were told of this world long ago by a scroll, book, or interdimensional being. (laughs) 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 Let me try to say it again without laughing. I can't do it. (laughs) Ancient kings and popes were told of this world a long time ago by a scroll book or an interdimensional being. I I can't do it. (laughs) Uh, So he talks about them keeping the secret. The moon missions were created because the secret had to be kept. And it's just one after the other. Yeah. Conspiracy after conspiracy after conspiracy. And in this entire first uh, introduction video, because it's a series, but this first video, he doesn't present a single piece of evidence for a flat earth. It's all conspiracy. Right. And so to, to be fair, some of a few of the other videos in this intro playlist do talk a little bit about his quote unquote evidence, the cold light of the, the moon and things like that. But, that's definitely plays a backseat to the conspiracy theories and the, the alleged um, oddness of certain things and then drawing the picture of why they would yeah. be. And we thought this was interesting because we were expecting this video series to start off with the evidence for the flat uh, earth. Yeah. 
what I was expecting was the first video to talk about how the Earth appeared flat and not being able to feel motion. And that's what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. So this kind of took me um, by surprise. Um, but it's it seems, and then listening to more flat earthers broadly, it's not like Mark Sargent is alone. Like he's he's an outlier. As you can see there's a great video uh, that BuzzFeed did where they interviewed people at a flat Earth conference, and one of the things they had they found was that, golly, there seem to be an awful lot of conspiracy theorists here. Yeah, nine eleven truthers, GMOs are poisoning you. Uh, Sandy Hook was a false flag event. Holocaust deniers. 9-11 was an inside job. 9-11 was an inside job. And uh, a time and time again, if you go to Flat Earth channels, most of them touch on conspiracies a little bit. In fact, one of my favorites was a video by probably Alexandra. So probably Alexandra's video, Are You Believing a Lie? At eight minutes, uh, she's talking about fallacies that people commit when arguing against the flat earth. And she's talking about how, if you're going to make a claim, the burden of proof is on the person making the claim and you have to come up with evidence. And I'm a hundred percent on board. I was so stoked to hear her say this. And then in literally the next breath, the next thing on, on this video, <laughs> this is so hard to do without making fun of. Oh, <laughs> So she says, the burden of proof is on the person making the claim. You have to have evidence. So anyway, the establishment or the network is trying to hide this truth from you. And here's the Illuminati chart. <laughs> like, And there's a clip. I, I put another one, 1040. She talks about the establishment and forcing narratives that shape our reality. And this thing looks like it came out of a beautiful mind, man. Like, there's... There, the Bilderbergs, United Nations, Order of the Illuminati, The Order. You know, it's like, and I thought the juxtaposition was really interesting. Yeah, it's funny. Well, I think at the end of, uh, near the end of Mark Sargent's original video, he does say, uh, and you, you wrote this down, but I was and still am a huge conspiracy guy. Like, Yeah, and I think that really sums it up. It's... The conspiracy that, at least for him, and I imagine for many of the people who watched the video, it was the conspiracy that sucked them in, and then it was the lack of physics understanding and stuff that kept them there. Right. And if you watch the Behind the Curve documentary, in the beginning of the documentary, Mark Sargent says, I had gone through all the other conspiracies, and this was like the last one I hadn't explored. And it's pretty interesting that, you know, even he thought this one was crazy until he started looking into it. But right, this is a model that even like young Earth creationists make fun of. Yeah. Um. So, given that it appears that conspiracy thinking plays such a big role in how flat Earthers arrive at their conclusions, Jared's done a lot of research on what the scientific literature says about people who tend towards conspiracy-like thinking. And um, there's a couple little stats here just to start off with. Um, this was done in an article by uh, Sunstein and Vera Mule in 2009. They, uh, they did a research and found that in the year 2004, 49% of New York City residents believed that the U.S. government was complicit in the 9-11 terrorist attacks. How many? 49%. Holy Jesus. Yes. 
that's in 2004. That that I mean, three years after 9/11, almost half of the city thought the government was complicit. And so, it, what this shows is that conspiracy theories in general are prevalent in our society. I mean, I myself have gone down conspiracy rabbit holes, and like I was, I went deep into um, JFK back in the day. Like I was just so like they're captivating, right? The idea that there's some you know force out there some group or something who's trying to pull the wool over our eyes it's it's a very romantic thing to to believe in and you're the like lone resistance yeah, who sees exactly. the truth you know it it casts you one of the things that the flat earthers uh, interviewed by buzzfeed said again and again was that this gives them meaning this gives them yeah. purpose it makes them feel important and mm. if you are the the small rebellion that is the only ones who see what's really going on. That's empowering, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you know, it makes you, it would make you feel really important. Whereas if you're just, you know, you may be some office drone, but you see the truth, man. So there's a lot of research actually done into that. And I think we can, um, we'll get into that in a second um, because there's research done into like the in-group, out-group mentality, mm-hmm. which plays in big with flat earthers. But, um, I wanted to kind of cover this this one paper that I found really interesting. It's obviously peer-reviewed. It's called Conspiracy Theories, Evolve Functions and Psychological Mechanisms. And what this paper tries to do is not look at conspiracy theories from a psychological, um, well, psychological, but look at it from an evolutionary standpoint. And what are maybe some of the things in our uh, evolutionary development that leads us to be prone to conspiracies. And one of the, they said, like, belief in one conspiracy theory is an excellent predictor of belief in different unrelated conspiracies. So the idea that if you believe in one, you're more likely to believe in another. And Which that, makes sense because yeah. the flat earthers, they were flat earthers and also 9-11 truthers and also anti-vaxxers and also, you know. Yeah. What they started to do is look into things like uh, pattern perception. And so they said that one key element of any conspiracy theory is pattern perception and assumption about how people and events are casually connected. So, the, yeah, yes, exactly. Ca- sorry, causally. Um, I mean, we can be casually connected too. Oh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> I, I do have a grinder account. So, uh, <laughs> I, I don't actually, but um, nothing wrong with that, though, if you do have one. But if he did, his <laughs> username did. would be. Uh, yeah daddy bear 269 Um, looking at this and what they say is uh, such illusionary pattern perception is a result of the evolved human tendency to make sense of the world and by extension could produce a sensitivity to conspiracy theories this is like the foundations for looking at how we see patterns and looking at these patterns help us make sense of our world right so when something doesn't seem right you look at it and these patterns start to emerge which may lend credibility to the conspiracy um, it um humans we've often said it before humans are pattern seeking animals yes like you give humans will look for order in everything that's why people see faces in clouds um that's why we're remarkably bad at generating random sequences um because we love to project order on the chaos right and so uh, this one paper by Rotherton and French in 2014 looked at this, the pattern perception, and they talked about how our biases affect our pattern perception, perceptions. 
And um, they said that biases and pattern perception are empirically related to conspiracy theories. For instance, people who believe in conspiracy theories overestimate the probability that events are connected. And so what they're pointing at here is that when we see these patterns, people who tend to believe in conspiracy theories give much more credit to patterns than they're actually deserved. And so this is kind of building that foundation that deep in our human psyche, we see these patterns and then we start to make more of it than what is actually there. And there's evolutionary reasons for this, right? So like if you take the example of um, the Russell and the brushes example, like Michael Shermer loves using that. One. Yeah, exactly. Like I could assume it's just the wind blowing or I can make more of it and assume that there's a fucking lion in there. Like, and if you, if you assumed it was a lion and it's just the wind, you run away and it's no big deal. Yeah. And whatever. you live to tell another day. Right. So but if you as, assume it's just the wind and it's a lion, you get eaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are the descendants of people who are likely to assume there are agents even where there are none. Because it's it's an advantageous trait. And you can see it like even in your own life, talking about putting lend credence to patterns. I'm sure everyone's been in the situation where one of their friends does something that seems a little off and maybe does a couple one or two things that seem a little off, and suddenly your mind's racing to put all this pattern together and like constructing this grand conspiracy in your mind about what's going wrong when in fact you know it's nothing it was all in your head yeah. you know so another thing uh kind of related to detecting patterns um is that humans are social animals and it's very important as social tribal animals that we be able to detect uh coalitions of people when people are cooperating with each other so this is from kurzban tubi and cos Cosmides, 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 Kurzban, Tudi, Tubi et al. Uh, <laughs> in two thousand one. In yeah. two thousand one, um, and so because of this need to be able to detect when people are working together and be able to have that social sense, um, they theorized that people evolve these alliance detecting mechanisms in order to be able to quickly determine who's working together. Right. Well, that's sort of or working against you or, or working against you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, which is obviously has obvious at uh, evolutionary advantage if you can determine the politics of your local tribe. Um, yeah. But it can go wrong, be kicked in overdrive, and perhaps you see alliances and cooperations where there are none. Right. That's a big thing. Um, but what they get at in this paper is that conspiracy theories were actually... They, they helped our ancestral humans to navigate their social world uh, so that they could better like anticipate and overcome imminent dangers in their environment. So just like you said, it, it was advantageous for them to have these conspiracies. Like it could be a conspiracy as simple as the tribe next to us is plotting to kill us and take all our land. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you had that conspiracy, you would have been prepared and you would have made, you know, arrangements to protect against that or kill them and before if, they killed you and if you were wrong there's low impact exactly yeah but if you didn't make the conspiracy and were wrong in that you get wiped out um that that actually ties into another paper where they mentioned that um some predictors of conspiracy belief and one of the common predictors was feeling threatened yes. from an outgroup um, if you felt like there was an outside threat, you were far more likely to believe conspiracies about that outside threat than otherwise. They kind of concluded that modern humans are highly susceptible to conspiracy theories. And so 
that shows you with that first set stat that we pointed out that 49% of New York New Yorkers New Yorkers believe that the government was involved in 9/11. One thing that I thought was interesting in this research was the fact that they kind of examined in another paper called Belief and Conspiracy Theories: Basic Principles of an Emerging Research Domain. They point out that it isn't empirical evidence which has people believe in conspiracies, but quite the opposite, actually, that it's intuition that drives people to believe into conspiracies. They said belief in conspiracy theories is positively associated with intuitive rather than analytical thinking. Right. Which correlates with it being less prevalent among people with higher education because they tend to have stronger analytical skills. So one of the models for conspiratorial thinking um, it's presented in the Psychology of Conspiracy Theories by Swift in 2013. And he posited, or his analysis suggested, that one of the things that might prompt conspiratorial thinking or conspiracy theory-type thinking um, is that it satisfies epistemic motives. So it shields your beliefs from the outside from outside interference. Yeah, yeah. And that's a strong motivation. A lot of people, part of why confirmation bias is a thing. Um, we like to be confirmed in what we already believe rather than being threatened by new beliefs from the outside. And conspiracy thinking goes along with that because you can always fit new information into the conspiracy. No matter what, no matter what evidence it is, it can just be part of the plot. Right. And and what they pointed out, too, was that the sometimes the the other pieces that you're fitting in your conspiracy may not be... Um, may not work with other pieces of evidence with the conspiracy, but because they're not using their analytical thinking, they don't correlate the two that are contradictory. They just look at them individually. Yeah, it's uh, easy if you just have a massive model of strings yeah. on a wall not to see when pieces of it don't match. Yeah. The The last thing that I wanted to point out with, with my research was that there is a strong in-group outgroup mentality amongst conspiracy theorists and the fact that conspiracy theorists believe that they're part of these this in group gives them this special feeling this special like they're part of something like they know something that nobody else doesn't know and then when they're together in their echo chambers they feel extremely important and it actually bolsters their beliefs and you can see this and it's not that part right there isn't necessarily unique to people who are conspiracy theorists. Birds of a feather flock together. Oh, for sure, yeah. And um, everyone wants to feel part of a group. And a lot of people, I, I don't want to generalize to everyone who's a flat earther or whatever, um, but some of the people that were interviewed, Mar I think Mark Sargent would probably fall in this group. He, li he lived in this mom's basement. He says that he felt kind of um, unimportant. And just just like another face in the crowd. And then he discovered Flat Earth. And then suddenly he's... He has a community. People yeah, love yeah. him. People love him. People are asking for his autograph. He's like flying all over the country doing talks. Like he's he's a huge deal to these people. And, and that is very empowering. You know, that yeah. that's very... Like I can understand a draw, conscious or not. Like there's not a ton of incentive to to drop out of the group at that point. Yeah. And then, um, this what do you, was... what, what do you have to gain? You yeah, know? Yeah. 
So one of the the premier uh, researchers that was doing this um, was his name was Richard Hofstadter, and in 1967 he did a paper, and he talks about how people who feel alienated and powerless are particularly susceptible to conspiracy conspiracy theories or conspiracist beliefs, and so just to show that the psychology of people who believe in conspiracies based on their already being, you know, outsiders or loners are susceptible to these beliefs. Like, so, I mean, that, that kind of wraps up a little bit of, you know, I mean, you could spend weeks diving into the, the literature on this, but it's kind of a brief overview just to show that one would kind of hit the highlights here. Um, people believe in conspiracies for intuition we are primed by our evolutionary background to believe in conspiracies because it was advantageous to us. And the psychology of humans who tend to believe in conspiracies uh, tend to be loners or outsiders. And so that this gives them that special feeling. Uh, it makes them feel important. And so it lends credibility to their claims. Um, kind of a, a brief overview, but. Yeah, and I, one point that the, the documentary made that I thought was really good was that they asked they, they said they, they focus on flat earthers because it's something most people can agree is outlandish uh, to say the least but then they asked well what is it that you're a flat earther about what what beliefs do you hold that you haven't critically right. examined um and i think in light of the fact that loner tendencies tend to lead to this sort of thinking and you know it becomes a community for them a lot of times with a flat earther they they repeated many of the people who were interviewed repeated you know all of my friends have left me i never you know i i don't i can't hang out with anyone who's not a flat earther because i'm just you know ostracized and i think that really highlights that the right answer is not necessarily to just cut them off and pretend they're not human beings anymore it's very easy you know, when they're saying something that sounds ridiculous, you know. Um, and I'm not saying that you should necessarily, I mean, if they're just nuts like that, uh, what's his name? Math Powerland? That guy is bonkers. <laughs> like, I'm not recommending that you stay friends with someone who is certifiably insane. But if they're, you, you should consider at least, you know, not cutting them off and sort of trying to connect with them personally you know just like people um and they might feel more safe to express these ideas and be open to changing their mind if you're not a jerk basically yeah. if you're not a jerk with them and you're nice to them and treat them with respect and you might say hey do you mind if we walk through this together do you mind if like i tell you what my thoughts are and how i came to my conclusions and actually show them the steps to where they can use their their critical thinking to mm -hmm and apply skepticism to to figure out the answer. Like, I can tell you, as a young Earth creationist, I got ridiculed a lot. And never once did someone making fun of me change my mind. It, yeah. it, you know, it, it didn't do anything. It's all, it did was, all it did was make me more sure I was right. Yeah, I mean, as a human, if somebody comes at you your first response is to go on the defensive and mm. you and there's actually been studies to this like if you come at somebody and you attack their beliefs they double down on their beliefs as opposed to actually analyzing them so you're never going to get through to somebody that way right so while it may be a ton of fun and i've definitely 
indulged in that uh, <laughs> that's from time to time. It's not effective, which is um, which kind of leads to <coughs> the next piece. So we know what they believe, and we know how they got there, or how many of them self-professed yeah. got there, and what sort of mentality gets there. So what can we do to address this? Um, and I think something you touched on in, in the research, Jared, was um, how they're not using their analytical side of their brain. Right. That, that probably comes off wrong. They're being more intuitive and less analytical. That sounds better. Yeah. They're being more intuitive and less analytical. And while intuition has its place and can be a great tool, it can also lead to wrong conclusions um, that might be caught with a more rigorous analytical mindset. One thing to keep in mind is that while it is awesome to run experiments, experiments are super hard to do. Um, there's a lot that can go wrong. And so it's fantastic to want to run an experiment. But if you don't know what you're doing, it can be very easy to get false results. Yeah. And um, in the in like example of somebody who is already believing in the cons these conspiracies, as we've already seen, when they do run an experiment and they don't get the result they expected, they don't just say, "Oh, well, I must have been wrong." Mm -hmm. They something must have been wrong in their experiment, right? And so they don't just accept it at face value. They try to redo the experiment to fit their preconceived conclusion. Not that necessarily if you get one false result, that means you should yeah, throw up your hand, obviously. But I think the, the right thing to do is kind of find common ground. A lot of them will profess to being very analytical, empirical. So kind of um, find that common ground. Like, we, I agree, we should be empirical. We should trust what the evidence says, no matter where that leads us. You know, find that common ground with the person. And then just kind of walk it through. But if you're listening to this and... You're kind of toying with the idea of flat earth or maybe you know you're a conspiracy theorist or whatever we thought it might be helpful since a lot of people have used mark Sargent's video um to kind of run down a couple of the quick points and just like if you were going to actually examine them as a skeptic what would that look like yeah you know if you're going to apply proper skepticism um and by proper skepticism we mean not just doubting because doubting is a part of it and doubting is awesome and if you don't believe me, check our first episode. Uh, <laughs> but uh, doubt, allowing your doubt to be modified with evidence. You know, doubting is, is the first step. It's not the end of the road. So what do we want to look at first here? He makes a lot of factual claims, even though they're, they're couched in conspiracy theory verbiage. It would be, he makes some claims. For instance, um, in 1957, the U.S. and Russia started nuking the sky as fast as they could. Um, in 1959, 10 nations signed this treaty about Antarctica. Oil companies should be exploring Antarctica because it's very uh, resource-rich. These are factual claims, and the first thing you should be doing then is checking to make sure they're correct. If somebody makes a claim, you need to examine the claim. Right, and always be asking the, the null hypothesis, what's more likely? You know, as and it's important too to constantly come back to that well and adjust based on each new piece of evidence in concert with every other piece of evidence. Right. So he says, "Hey, in nineteen until nineteen fifty seven, we couldn't go high enough. Okay, that checks out. 
and the U.S. and Russia started nuking. Okay, maybe they were testing, but hey, maybe they were nuking the sky. Okay. But then as each new piece comes on, it makes the entire model less likely. Yeah. Unless there's external evidence. So the first step is to check all of his claims and make sure that those are accurate. And is there a more likely alternate explanation? Right. And if the claim is accurate, is the interpretation of the claim accurate as well? Right. Right. It may be accurate that we were nuking the skies, but what was the reason we were nuking the skies? Right. And that's a great example because what he what he uses that for is to show that we were afraid, we being the United States and Russian governments, were afraid of what they saw, and so they were nuking the dome. But there's an alternate explanation that they were doing airburst tests of this new weaponry they had that they didn't know much about be, and also saber rattling to show that the, the other side of the world, that they had them and that they were dangerous. Yeah. Hey, my Schwartz is bigger than yours. Exactly. And that doesn't prove either one, but one of those has a higher prob- prior probability than the other. Yeah. Um, in 1959, these nations did in fact sign a treaty saying that Antarctica is off limits for expansion. Now, it may be because the Earth is flat and they, for whatever reason, didn't want anyone to go to Antarctica and find out. Or it may be because Antarctica is really super fucking cold and it was <laughs> yeah. it's not easy to expand there. And so they set it up. They came together to set up this treaty to set it aside for scientific purposes so no one would use it as a tactical launch point against anyone else that doesn't prove either one but one of those things sounds a lot more plausible yeah so like he makes the claim that in 1958 the military discovered the solid dome and edge of of the dome like they they discovered it like that is a claim which he provides no evidence for where is your evidence for that which means as a skeptic you should take that claim and just set it aside in its own little quarantine and just disbelieve it doesn't mean you believe the inverse because that would also be a claim um but that the proper beginning point is a lack of belief so you set that okay 1958 they discovered solid dome what's your evidence you don't have any great i don't believe you then you put that <laughs> exactly yeah. uh the sp- he said claims that the space program is militarized it wasn't it's still a civilian organization so that one's false hence we have the space force now yeah space force so here's this one's a little later in the in the video, but here's another great example of something. He so he talks about at nine minutes that all of your commercial air travel routes are wrong, and he says um, <clears throat> that he, he used to fly business class all the time. And you can just look if, if the Earth was flat, you couldn't travel in like one go from say South Africa to Australia because it would be too far apart. In, this, in a sphere, they're closer together. But if you take that off and spread it out, they actually really, really far apart. Yeah. Right. And so he says, look at, uh, uh, you can find travel sites where you can track planes and you won't see any. Or you can try to find a one-way stop ticket and there won't be any. They use all of these intermediate stops to throw you off. It's part of the conspiracy. Hey, that's a great claim. That's something we can check. And it turns out, you could go to Travelocity. I went to Travelocity, and within 30 seconds, I found a one-way, one-stop thing between Melbourne and South Africa. It was uh, Johannesburg. No, you can't. Um, you can't do that, man. There I mean, we- I haven't been on the plane, so I guess maybe it's part of the conspiracy. 
Uh, but you can find other ones. You can also find the map. He shows the map like all the fights. You won't see any going across the ocean. And then I pulled it up and was like, hey, what's that little guy doing? <laughs> going across the ocean. But if you don't want to do that, you could also just hit play on the video and keep going for five seconds because the next picture he shows shows flights crossing the ocean. Yeah. So it's like, but it makes me ask the question, why is that even something important to him? Like, it's demonstrably false. Like, did he really not see any flights? Like, we're talking about like flight trackers you can find on the internet is what he's mm -hmm. looking at. Did he really spend days looking at that and never see a flight on there? Or is he being dishonest? Like, I don't understand that at all. I, I don't know. He and to be, I don't think I've ever heard him address this. If I was to put on my tinfoil hat, I imagine what I'd say is, well, sure, the authority found out that they had missed this. And so now there's all these fake flights, but, you know, they don't actually exist, man. Yeah. Which, again, would be a claim. Another one that another claim he makes um, after 50 years and thousands of hours, no exterior shot of the International Space Station has been panned 180 degrees, like to show all of their surroundings. Not the whole, yeah, the whole thing. Right. Because in his worldview, it's on like a soundstage or something. Yeah. So you know, they can't show the fourth wall, can't break the fourth wall just like on TV. First of all, that's false. I, I found one and we'll post the link. Um, on Facebook, but the Russians on the International Space Station did a 360 degree, like just like you can do with your phone. Now, I imagine what they'd say is, well, that's a composite shot, so maybe they did some magic or whatever. Yeah. But I think that my first impression when I heard him say, well, they've never done this, I was like, so? Like, what do you care? Like, let's say they did it. Would you believe them? Yeah, you, you immediately you wouldn't, I imagine they wouldn't believe it. They would say that it was it was faked. Like if they can fake the moon landing and they can fake the stars in the sky and they've got this, they can fake the air traffic. I mean, it's Hollywood. Of course they get, I, I saw a, a, a flying interdimensional space monster take out a New York. That didn't actually happen. If they can do that, I'm sure that they can. Real, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that they can, they can fake the outside of a space station, yeah. you know? Uh, Another one, and this isn't in the video, but another one of the ones that he says is, uh, you know, they've never shown a picture of uh, the spacesuits um, because they couldn't possibly have a spacesuit that could survive the vacuum of space. So they don't exist. You've never seen them do a vacuum test. And I thought, well, first of all, the vacuum of space is the pressure that the spacesuit has to hold in is one atmosphere because that's the pressure inside the suit. Uh, fun fact, vacuums don't actually, like, have a sucking power. Yeah. They don't that's not what happens. The pressure on the inside tries to get out. So the pressure on the inside of the spacesuit is all the all the pressure that the spacesuit has to hold in. But I was like, okay, suppose they did that. Would would you believe them then? Like suppose that they showed a picture of a guy in a vacuum chamber. Would you believe it? No, of course not. That would be just part of the conspiracy. Suppose that you were invited to go down there and they showed it to you, and there was like a gauge inside. Would you believe it? No, they could fake the gauge. What if they put you in the spacesuit and sent you in there? Would you believe it then? No, you don't know that it's a vacuum. Right. The you only know, thing that you would believe is when they take the helmet off of you. Yeah, and it's a vacuum. And it's a vacuum. But if you point, asked to do right. that, all of, all of the engineers would be freaking out. Like, no, you can't do that. Like, and that would and just of course, be proof. And that would just be proof. That is part of the conspiracy, yeah. right. Um. So that was kind of a quick and dirty run through uh, because there's no 
evidence, but the, the, it shows the proper mindset. It's not to be like, huh, all of these things fit together in a beautiful picture, therefore it's true. The proper mindset is, you made these claims, what evidence do you have for these claims? And additional claims are not evidence. Right. You could stack 10,000 claims on top of each other without a single piece of evidence. It's still nothing. Um, you can look up videos for Bayesian reasoning. Basically, if you imagine each of these claims is a proposition, they're saying that P is true, right? P1, P2, P3. So if you imagine all of probability, everything that could possibly happen is a circle. The area covered by that circle where P is true is some smaller circle, right? Well, the area that P1 is true, so like that uh, they nuke the sky and mm-hmm. they were did it because they were afraid. That's one smaller subset of the circle. The area that uh, they signed the Antarctica Treaty to keep everyone out, that's also a smaller circle. But the area that P1 and P2 are true at the same time, that's smaller than both of them, necessarily. So without any substantiating evidence, obviously. Yeah. So each new claim makes the whole model less and less likely. Each successive claim makes the model more and more unlikely until they show evidence. Right. And then, of course, it changes. So the, the odds that one is true, or the, the odds that one is true is going to be higher than the odds that one and two and three and four and five and six are true. Necessarily. Man, he goes, it's some of the crazy stuff he goes into, man, like, in five, he talks about um, the status quo. Like, why do they do this? Because that's another question I had. Yeah. Like, what's the point? Like, what do they benefit from pulling this conspiracy over our eyes? Like, and, and supposedly it's money because NASA would get shut down because NASA's budget is so huge. Like, yeah, it's like $20 billion or whatever. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the federal budget. Yeah, like, if they did this whole thing to make money, they're not doing a very good job. Yeah, but NASA wasn't around when they signed the Antarctica Treaty. Was it? No. No, no I guess they started NASA to get the money, I, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. There, there it is. I'm convinced. That's why. That's the only reason NASA would be started. Um, and then, obviously, they brought in the next logical step, which is that it has to do with the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail and the Ring of Power. Uh, I mean, obviously, I, I, I think <laughs> I, I think that goes without saying. I don't think we really need to go over that because it's self-evident. And yes, I'm being 100% serious. That's at 741. On I didn't make it all the way through that video. I couldn't do it. Effie Clues. <laughs> Effie Clues status quo, 741. Oh, uh, wow. He says, fingers are pointing at the now defunct NASA. And of course, that'll lead to the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy Grail, and the Ring of Power. <laughs> Uh, and then he says then he says something like I won't go into who that would benefit and then the Freemason symbol fears on the screen <laughs> oh wow turtles all the way down yeah I mean it's crazy um, and I don't mean that like it's like they're crazy I mean it like the things that they're using to support this conspiracy are crazy like what they're doing, it's called um, their ad hoc assumptions. So an ad hoc assumption or an ad hoc hypothesis is a hypothesis that is invented to explain a piece of evidence. And the only evidence for the hypothesis is the thing you're trying to explain. Right. 
So in your everyday life, for example, suppose you came home at your normal time, and normally your neighbor across the street is home, but today his car's gone. You could assume that, I don't know, he had an errand or something or whatever, not assume anything, or you could assume that he's been kidnapped and his car was used to drive him to Mexico. The Mexico one is an ad hoc hypothesis because there's no evidence for it whatsoever except the missing car, which is what you're trying to explain. Yeah. And an ad hoc hypothesis necessarily makes your model less likely until you have some evidence. Now, if you see his missing car and there's also his cutoff finger with a ransom note in the mailbox, well, maybe now the kidnapping model makes more sense. (laughs) But now you have evidence. But that wouldn't be ad hoc. That would be... Then it would no longer be ad hoc. Correct. And so what you're seeing in this video and all the others is ad hoc on ad hoc on ad hoc. It's, you know, they nuked the sky because they were scared. So necessarily the next step is this and the next, like, it's just hypothesis after hypothesis. And no matter how pretty a picture it makes, that doesn't make it true. So what's more likely? At the end of the day, the question we should always ask ourselves as skeptics is what is more likely? Is it more likely that the world is round, just like all of the physicists tell us, just like all of these experiments that tell us, Maybe I, as a non-scientist, don't completely understand the physics reasons why. Maybe I can go find out. Or is it more likely that there's a vast conspiracy involving tens of thousands of the most powerful people in the world, from the U.S. to Russia to Europe to everywhere, including every physicist who's doing any kind of experiments because it means general relativity is false and quantum mechanics doesn't work. So all of those guys have to be in on it. Every engineer who works on those experiments, because they would have to know if the apparatuses are false. Um, All the way down to astronauts, camera operators who help film the fake moon landings and the space, you know, all that stuff. Like the janitor who cleaned up after the set was done. Exactly. Yeah. The guy who makes the sandwiches, he's in on it has to be, you know, because uh, you better believe those astronauts aren't making the sandwiches. No way, man. Yeah. So they're eating ice cream um, sandwiches that are dehydrated. So yeah. So with every step, the conspiracy has to get bigger. So is it really more likely that all of these people are in on it and not a single one has ever said anything? Mm, I don't think so. But the but the biggest point that we're trying to drive home here is that if and the the sad thing is, is none of these people are going to come and walk, listen to our podcast, right? Probably not. I think this is a good experiment because it allows us to look at an extreme case and see how we could approach this using skeptical thinking to figure out what's more probable. And then even though this is an extreme case, we can apply these same standards to everything else we do in life that needs like you shouldn't be skeptical about everything right like you shouldn't be skeptical you should, you should be properly skeptical right like it's not like oh should i drink my water because somebody could have poisoned it like well i mean in that case the odds that someone did that are so vanishingly small it's not worth worrying about exactly so what i'm getting at here is that we should this is a good test to show how we can apply skepticism in an extreme case and use that in other aspects of our lives right 
This shit is fucking crazy, man. It really is, man. I I started watching video after video, and I I and, don't I don't know how anybody could just buy into this stuff, right? Like, like that's something that gets me is that your average person on the street, like I said, doesn't understand the physics. They don't know why you wouldn't feel the movement of the earth it's because there's no acceleration and force equals mass times acceleration uh but that they don't understand that uh but if they're like man you know i i don't really know and then they're like yeah so obviously the illuminati has these extra dimensional beings the guy would be like okay i don't know what the physics is but that's crazy like i think that's where most people would get off the train Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like the the psychology of it all. You know, it's like there's reasons that people believe these things. Yeah, and it's never because this happens in other arenas, like you said, not just flat earthers, paranormal activities, miracle workers, stuff like that. It's never the question you should be asking is not can I believe this? You know, can the evidence fit? Because if you bend enough you can fit anything yeah. you know like if you get to where max Sargent is and you believe that there's literally unobtainium heaters in the ground to melt it all so that we won't dig that far and like that the the sky has this amazingly sophisticated projection such that no telescope no matter how powerful it's detected any flaw like if you're to that point then anything can fit but yeah. if your model can fit, can answer, can, can explain any conceivable data, then yeah. it doesn't explain anything. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good. That's a good spot to kind of wrap things up. So there is. This is just the tip of the flat iceberg. Just the tip. Just the tip. Just for a second. Just to see how it feels. Uh, version of this like there's easily tens of thousands if not more hours on this conspiracy but hopefully this has shed some light on the mindset of a flat earther and why they might come to it and also why um as even though it is kind of crazy um hopefully it kind of demystifies how yeah. someone might, might might arrive there you know and by having that understanding hopefully we can have some more sympathy and empathy for these people and maybe learn better ways to approach them to have a conversation if you actually want to and you come across the flat earther um, yeah and then maybe in 20 years we can stop having this conversation well by then it'll be something completely different hashtag square earth square earth now that's plausible or hollow earth. Ooh, hollow earth. That's another one. What about concave earth? Like a bowl. That makes sense. Yeah. It's round. It's just round the other it's way. It's the other way. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes sense because we're spinning, so all the water stays to the outside. Boom. That's what it is. <laughs> Solved it. All right. Well, as usual, uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, make sure you... Give it a like, share with your friends. Uh, we're on Facebook. We both uh, monitor that Facebook. So if you want to 
chime in with your own flat earth experiences or maybe you are a flat earther and you want to tell us why we're wrong mm-hmm. uh hit us up there and you'll get an answer within probably a few minutes because i have nothing better to do than argue on the internet or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like us to cover uh, make a comment and let us know what you're interested in hearing about and we'll potentially cover it on one of our episodes yeah i i can almost guarantee that if it's within our wheelhouse of skepticism and you suggest it it'll get covered all right well uh, until next time guys thanks for listening and remember you've always got reason to doubt Okay, before you're in on the conspiracy, you join NASA to explore space or whatever, right? Because you have that passion. There's not been one person who, when they approach, like, hey, the Earth's flat and we want you to be in on it. There's not a single one who is like, uh, I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, you just crushed, like, my. I went to space camp when I was a kid, and now I want to be an astronaut. And then you get there, and it's like, oh, by the way, this is all a hoax. And uh, somebody's going to be pissed. Yeah. Seriously. Imagine it, the amount of, like, money and control it would take to actually have a conspiracy this large. Dude. Like, you know, people you'd have to pay off. Like, just look at Trump's administration, for example. There are fucking leaks out the wazoo in the fucking White House. Everywhere. Everywhere. All the time. All the time. Every time somebody leaves, there's a new book coming out. It's like, yeah. You're telling me that for the past 70 years, nobody. 70 years. That's what, four generations of people? Nobody are in on this? fucking blew the whistle on this shit? Like, I just don't. I don't get it, man. It's like, they have, they have such a high opinion of government. At least when it comes to shadow governments. Oh my god! Yeah, like the shadow government is running like a freaking clock. I don't know if any of them have ever seen the actual government work. It's not that good. Nope. <laughs> like, oh if there's one thing that soldiers are good at, it's gossip. Yes. like the super secret installation that the authority runs because they have they have to have some kind of physical location somewhere right maybe the sailors that are guarding antarctica right yeah think somebody told we talked about this before we did this podcast but like if if they actually did have a fleet of ships like guarding antarctica it would have to be about ten thousand ships to mm-hmm. effectively control the area that the flat earth is supposedly at the circumference there. 10,000 ships. Do you know how many crew member it takes to control a battleship like that? Like, and none of those guys, like none of their families are like, Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just down here guarding Antarctica. So nobody can get in. Like yeah, that never I, happened I, one time. Not one time. I guarantee you <laughs> there would be Snapchats, there would be yeah. people on Facebook. Like I guarantee you, because no matter how dedicated the guy at the top is, the rank and file, they are not that dedicated. Yeah. They'd be taking <laughs> selfies at the dome like wall, like, hey mom, check it out. Like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, like Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> That's the janitor's like, you are not paying me enough for this. <laughs> exactly. You know how much a story would be worth? Like, think how much money you could make if you if you like broke and like went out on your own and blew a whistle. Like, 
how many interviews and book deals and videos you would deals you could make just selling your story like not to mention that the entire US Navy is 490 ships. Oh, okay. Well, I mean that's the number that Yeah, so I mean the between authority gives us obviously yeah. it's not the real number cuz well the Antarctica shit. So right. Yeah. That's just insane. 